You are listening to the Through the Bible Studio Series with Pastor Nate Holdridge. Join us as we continue our study through the New Testament book of Colossians. Here's Nate. Well, Paul the Apostle saw the Lord everywhere. He had said in Colossians 3 verse 11 that Christ is all and is in all. All And when he said that, he was saying it in the context of speaking about the church, the new humanity that is created in Jesus Christ, that we are one together, but that Jesus is in each one of us. And when Paul looked at individual human beings inside the body of Christ, he was witnessing individual expressions of Jesus. He referred to the church in other places as the body of Christ, the hands, the feet, the eyes of Christ. We are operating today in the flesh through the leadership of the Holy Spirit, uh, demonstrating the life of Christ here on earth. Luke, of course, repeated the same kind of idea when after he wrote the book of Luke in which he spoke of the birth, uh, life, death, burial, resurrection, and final ascension of Jesus back to heaven, Luke then wrote the book of Acts where he said, the former account I wrote, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began to do and to teach. In other words, in the mind of Luke and the early church, there was the idea that although Jesus had previously come and only he could of course die on the cross and atone for the sin of the world after he ascended he was still active here on earth still working through the lives of his people the lives of his bride his church and here as we close out our study in Paul's letter to the Colossians Paul will close the letter with greetings from various people, greetings to various people, and directions for various people. And as he does, Paul is demonstrating that, for one, we are all radically different from one another. We complement one another inside the body of Christ. But he's demonstrating, number two, that he was a man who made friends. He loved people. He had friends in the work of the gospel. Now the first two people that Paul mentions are found in verse 7 through 9 and these are two men who helped deliver the letter uh, of Colossians to the Colossian church. He says in verse 7 of the first man, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and a faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And what you have in Tychicus is a man who was incredibly supportive of uh, Paul. Uh, what you see often in his life is that Paul was sending him to different regions. Here we see Paul putting a letter in Tychicus's hand and sending him to Colossae to, to deliver that letter, but not only to deliver the letter, notice verse 8, so that he might tell them how Paul was doing and that he might encourage their hearts with the news about Paul. 
So he was sent to Colossae to deliver a letter, but also to bring news of Paul in his life. When you read Ephesians chapter 6, you discover that Tychicus had done the same thing for the church in Ephesus in delivering a letter and bringing news of Paul. And when you read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 12, you discover that Paul tells Timothy, I've sent him to Ephesus, perhaps at a different time. And then in Titus chapter 3, verse 12, you discover that he was sent to Titus to speak with him and to deliver a letter and bring news of Paul and his life. He was an emissary of Paul the Apostle. Really what Tychicus was doing was delivering errands and bringing news of Paul's life. The concern of people who saw Tychicus wasn't, Tychicus, how are you doing? The concern was, Tychicus, how is Paul doing? Paul was the verb, Tychicus was the adverb. And you know what? He didn't mind not one bit. In his mind, he didn't need to write. He didn't need to speak. He wanted to support the message of Paul the Apostle. This wasn't an easy life that he lived. He sacrificed greatly. But I think that this man had a gift of helping, as Paul mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28, a spiritual gift to help and to aid in the message of the gospel and to communicate the message. People like this must exist. It can't be that everyone is a speaker, that everyone is a writer, that everyone is a preacher. But there will be some who help get that message out. Tychicus was simply a supportive, supportive man. Now, beyond him, in verse 9, there was another character who helped deliver the letter from Paul to the church in Colossae. And with him, verse 9, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place. So notice, first of all, that Paul mentions faithfulness in both Tychicus and in Onesimus. God is looking for faithful people, people who are consistent, people who keep their vows and their covenants and their promises who let their yes mean yes and their no mean no. God is looking for faithful people. He was a beloved brother. Paul loved him and he was, verse 9, one of you, he says. So he originated from Colossae. And he says, together with Tychicus, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. Now, what's missing from Paul's statement here about Onesimus is the background to why he was heading back to Colossae in the first place. Paul actually wrote two letters to put in Tychicus and Onesimus's hand to bring back to Colossae. One, of course, is the letter that we're studying today, but he also wrote the letter to Philemon, a personal letter to a man. Now, when you read the book of Philemon, what you discover is that Philemon, this Christian man, was a uh, household leader who had a servant who had stolen from him, had run away to Rome, and that that servant had met Paul in his imprisonment, heard the gospel message, given his life to the Lord, 
And as part of his reconciliation, part of his redemption story, Paul encouraged him to return to Colossae, to go to Philemon, and to make things right. And rather than look at Paul and tell him that everything is covered by the blood of Jesus and that there's no need to try to reconcile or make things wrong, rather than that, uh, Onesimus agreed with Paul and said, yes, I will go. I will return and I will make things right. Onesimus was a radically new man, changed completely by the Lord. And Paul told Philemon, he said, hey, listen, Philemon, you know that you owe me your, whole, your own life as, uh, in one sense. I preach the gospel to you. Uh, don't you think that you could do me a favor by allowing Onesimus to be set free. Maybe you've lost him for a while so that you might have him back forever as more than a bond servant, but as a brother. So send him back to me. He's helpful to me. This man who used to be a thief, this man who used to be on the run was now running towards the Lord, which I think should be a comfort to us in so many ways. First of all, understanding that when we see someone who has betrayed us, denied us, maybe ripped us off, we can know and understand that maybe they're on their way to the thing that will actually save them, just as Onesimus was on his way to Rome where he would be saved. But secondly, understand that there are times in life that you are an Onesimus who needs to be restored. There are other times in life where you will be a Philemon who needs to do the restoring. And there will be times in life that you are a Paul who needs to bring two warring parties together so that they might be reconciled. And there also might be times that you are the church in Colossae witnessing the reconciliation that must take place and holding all parties accountable for that reconciliation. And so Onesimus was a new man. Now in verse 10, Paul moves on from these friends of his delivering the letter to a group of three men who were Jewish friends of his. Aristarchus, he says in verse 10, my fellow prisoner greets you and Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you've received instructions if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. So Paul announces something rather conspicuous. He says, listen, these three men of the circumcision are the only men of the circumcision who are my fellow workers for the kingdom of God. Now, this was a way for Paul to say that these three men were the only Jewish men who had linked up arms with him, who were serving him in the kingdom of God. Now, there were, of course, other Christian Jewish men and women who were serving the Lord in the world at that time. There were other Jewish Christian men and women who had served with Paul in the past and would serve with Paul in the future. But at this particular moment in time, he could only name three that were ministering directly with him. Aristarchus, Mark, and Justice. And Paul announces that they have been a comfort to me. 
I wonder what kind of comfort they were to Paul. I wonder if there's a chance that the kind of comfort that they gave was that of the cultural variety. You know, just fellow Jews. Same background, same culture, same history, same value system, same, uh, you know, cultural nuances. And, you know, when you're in an, another country and you're with people who aren't your countrymen, you're on guard. You want to make sure that you are, uh, you know, not offensive, but that you are learning the cultural customs and all of that. But in an environment like that, when you come across someone from your home culture and home environment, there's just a comfort there. There's just an encouragement there. There's an ease as you interact with them on a personal level. Perhaps that's what Paul was referring to, but it was probably so much more than that. But let's think about these men. Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, he says, greets you. He doesn't say much more about Aristarchus, except that he was a fellow prisoner of Paul. He doesn't say a fellow prisoner in Christ, indicating perhaps that he was a figurative prisoner. No, he probably was actually in prison with Paul. When you look at the flow of the life of Aristarchus, you meet him in the theater in Acts chapter 20 and Acts chapter 19 verse 29 in Ephesus. This huge mob gathered together shouting for hours, great is Diana of the Ephesians. Paul wanted to go in and preach. His friends stopped him because they said, if you go in, you'll certainly die. But Aristarchus was one of Paul's friends who was actually dragged into the theater and suffered physically. The next time we see him is in Acts 20. There was a Jewish plot to kill Paul as he prepared to set sail for Syria. And so they decided to travel through Macedonia. He needed a bodyguard and Archippus was part of that crew. And then finally in Acts chapter 27, when Paul was imprisoned and on his way, ultimately to Rome, but about to get onto a hellacious journey of a boat. Uh, one of the friends that hopped onto that boat with him, Aristarchus. This guy was a radical man of a different cut, willing to endanger himself, willing to lay down his life for the cause, for the sake of the gospel. I've had friends that have had to find other believers who know how to handle a weapon in order to be protected to go into countries to preach the gospel that without that kind of guide, without those weapons, they never knew what would happen. These were radical, dangerous things that needed to be done. Aristarchus was that kind of man. Listen, if you have a little bit of this DNA or gifting inside of you, I have to caution you about the frustration you might feel about the rest of the body of Christ. Some of your frustration might even be warranted, but understand that not everyone has that radical passion inside of their lives. Aristarchus was just one man of 11 in this list. Now in verse 10, you also have a second man of the circumcision, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. Now, Mark was a man with an incredible 
heritage. He was related to Barnabas, as we see here, who was the man who went and found Paul and brought him to preach initially in the city of Antioch. Really, in a human sense, he was the one that got Paul's ministry started, even though that was ultimately uh, the Lord. His mother, we know, Mark's mother in Acts chapter 12, kept an open house for believers in Jerusalem. They had prayer meetings there, potentially even uh, holding events like the Last Supper there, some might think. So he was a man with a great spiritual heritage. Now, the thing that's fascinating here is that there was a moment where Mark was a cause of great disagreement between Paul and his good friend Barnabas. They'd gone on a missionary journey together in Acts chapter, uh, in the uh, chapters previous to Acts chapter 15. But when they got to Acts 15, they were getting ready to go on their second journey. And what you discover is that as they were building their team, Paul did not want to bring Mark with them, but Barnabas wanted to bring Mark. And Paul said, no, I don't want to bring the one with us who betrayed us and left us in the middle of our first journey. We don't know exactly why he left, but we can assume that it was difficult, that there was fear involved. And the dissension became so real between Paul and Barnabas, and it comforts me slightly that godly men would fight a little bit. But the dissension was so real that finally they went their separate ways. Barnabas with Mark and Paul with Silas. And there was just this disagreement over this man's life. And here now you have years later, Paul speaking of Mark and encouraging the church in Colossae to receive Mark. Mark, of course, went on to do incredible things. It appears that he became Peter's go-to guy. A disciple of Peter, wrote a gospel. We assume that he received those stories from Peter, wrote the book of Mark. And even Paul came to really appreciate his ministry. 2 Timothy 4 verse 11, the final word on his life, he says, he is very useful to me for the ministry. So here with Mark, you just have a man that grew over time. It took a while in his life, but he just grew over time. As some of us might know people, or we might be people ourselves, who it just takes time in our lives. It's not so much how we begin, it's how we end that really matters, that really counts. And here, Mark, he ended incredibly well. Now, finally, in this list of Jewish friends, Paul mentions a man named Justice. And uh, it, he says that he was Jesus, who was called Justice. Justice was probably an added name or his Roman name. And you can understand why a Christian man inside of the church would like to be called something other than Jesus. And so they began to just really refer to him as Justice. We know that he was a Jew. He was one of the circumcision. We know that he was a fellow worker uh, with Paul, but we don't know anything else about this man. He's very anonymous, but the one who does know is the Lord. The Lord knows the work of this man. He knows what he'd done. And I believe that justice heard the words, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. He was faithful 
He served the Lord. And there are so many people in this life who serve the Lord in anonymity. And the Lord sees, the Lord knows, just as he saw with justice, this anonymous man. Now in verse 12, Paul goes on to speak of his Gentile friends. The first one being Epaphras. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, so that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. Now what you have here in Epaphras is obviously a man of intense prayer. Uh, he's from Colossae or from that region at least. That's why Paul says he's one of you. He serves the Lord. He greets the church there. But Paul says he is always struggling on your behalf in his prayers. Notice what, Paul, what Epaphras was praying for. He says that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. You know what he longed for, what he desired, what he was praying for, what Paul said in verse 13 he was working hard for, was for the church in Colossae, as well as in Laodicea and Hierapolis, other cities nearby in that same valley. He was praying for them that they would become mature, that they would, would become grounded and founded. It's incredible to think, first of all, that this is a prayer that the Lord hears. Paul didn't rebuke him and say, hey, Epaphras, what do you think you're doing praying for people to stand mature and be fully assured in what God wants for their lives? You can't influence someone's life in that kind of way. No, Paul agreed with him. He extolled him and honored him for that kind of prayer life. And Epaphras, of course, was not struggling really with God in prayer or with people, but against principalities and powers of darkness. We, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against this unseen realm, Paul teaches us in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. And he believed that as he cried out to the Lord for these people, they'd have a greater chance at standing mature and being fully assured in all the will of God. This is a wonderful prayer life and a wonderful request from this man, Epaphras. Some of us, you know, we like to pray, but we really want to do things. Epaphras probably liked to do things, but really wanted to pray. And we know, of course, that the Lord heard his prayer. Because in praying for them to stand mature and to be fully assured of all the will of God, what would mature them and what would expose them to the will of God better than the word of God? And one day, Paul, under the inspiration of the Spirit, had the idea come into his mind to write a letter to the church in Colossae. And as he wrote to them the word of God, they would be able to become more mature and to be certain of God's will for their lives. So I love this man and his prayer life. Other, uh, as well, I love that he prayed for a specific region, those in Laodicea, Colossae, and Hierapolis. Sometimes God will put a special group or people, 
upon a human heart. Now he says in verse 14 as well, he says also, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Now, Luke was a crucial man, we know. He wrote the book of Luke and the book of Acts, likely the only Gentile to uh, write a book of the Bible, uh, likely a slave, perhaps owned and set free by Theophilus. He was a companion and missionary co-laborer with Paul. When you read Acts, you'll see the phrase, we did this or we did that. And you know that when it says we, Luke was along for that part of the journey. He was a physician. That was his training. That was his background. Uh, that's what he was uh, supposed to be all about, which was helpful on the kinds of missionary journeys that Paul went on. However, the thing that I love here is that this man, in all of his education and all of his background, he was being equipped for the work of a physician, but God was equipping him for something so much bigger than that. God was preparing him for a greater thing, to write scripture, to record history. He is the historian of the New Testament. And in one sense, it's good to know that the Lord is always preparing us for something beyond what we can see. Now, Paul also mentions Demas, who also greeted the church in the letter to Philemon. And you really don't hear about him at all until 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul's final letter, when he says, Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. What you have here with Demas is a man who ultimately was very divided. Very divided. He started out well. He was involved with Paul, a co-worker with Paul. But his love for the world, his love for the ease of Thessalonica, especially when you compared it to the imprisonment of Paul and serving Paul, his love for the world overwhelmed his heart and it could be said like this, in the Christian heart, it's always a battle of loves. Will we love the present world more than the unseen, unpresent world? Will we love the ways of the world and our own desires more than we love the ways of the Lord? Will we love the culture and the society of the world more than we love the church? It was a battle for love inside of Demas's heart and his love for the Lord waned and he departed eventually from Paul. He was a divided man. Now, In the last few verses, Paul gives some greetings to a few people. He says, give my greetings, verse 15, to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. Now, Nympha here, of course, was a generous woman. She allowed part of the church in Laodicea to meet in her home, which is, by the way, just a statement of fact that part of the church met in her home. It doesn't mean that that's the New Testament pattern. So the way to say it would be that we can meet in homes, but not that we must meet in homes. I think the New Testament gives us a freedom to say, what would be the wisest approach for us in our town, our city, our culture, and in what God desires for us to do in this place in time. But she was a generous woman. And he says, And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and see that you also read the letter from Laodicea. So 
allow these letters, he says, to circulate and to get around. Take this letter and give copies to the church in Laodicea, but also read the letter from Laodicea, which is an important phrase because, of course, the letter from Laodicea, at best as we know, is not in our Bible. Some think that he's referring to the book of Ephesians, but that's pure speculation. Uh, it's very possible that Paul wrote some biblical instruction, gave some teaching to the church in Laodicea, but that it was not a divinely inspired epistle. We must believe that God not only inspired his word, but secondly, also providentially watched over it so that nothing would be lost that was supposed to be given down to us. He is certainly powerful enough to do that. In closing, Paul said, Say to Archippus, verse 17, See that you fulfill the ministry that you've received in the Lord. And what a great exhortation for all of us to fulfill that which God has given to us, to be supportive of others, but also to take the bull by the horns and get after it in our own lives. And Paul says, And I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. And so he closes his epistle with grace. God bless you and amen. Thank you for listening. For additional resources and teachings or to contact us, please visit us at nateholdridge.com.